So let's uh, give our attention as I read from God's word in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, down through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known, it is known also to your conscience. For we are not commending ourselves to you again, but are giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who for their sake died and was raised again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ... Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, would you impart to us now your word, and by your Holy Spirit, would you take your word, which is living and active, and transform us through it, And transform our lives in it that we might indeed be a people, be ambassadors who live for you and who love like you and who lead others to you through the ministry and the message of reconciliation which you have not only worked in our lives but you have given to us and entrusted to us for your glory. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So if people ask you about our church, about Ambassador Presbyterian Church, about who we are, what we are about, why you are here at this church, what do you say? What would you say if you haven't been asked that question before? Would you you talk about the people that are here and the relationships do you have? Would you talk about our worship service and style? Would you you focus on how how we preach and, and teach the word of God and the gospel? Would you talk about being, our being friendly and welcoming when you come and visit or uh, some particular ministry maybe that has, has been impactful or that you feel like is central? Would you talk about our denominational affiliation and our, our uh, historic traditions as a church? In your mind, what defines us as a church? Or as a question sometimes comes to me, as I mentioned to the kids, from another angle. Why Ambassador Presbyterian Church? I've never heard a church with that name. (laughs) 
What does that even mean that you're ambassador church? And I think the answer to those two lines of questioning actually intersect in a very significant way. We are who we are and what we seek to be as about as God's people here, particularly in this body of believers, in this place where God has placed us together, is encompassed in our church name. We are Christ's ambassadors, as we get that from this passage we just read in 2 Corinthians 5. We are, we as persons individually and we as a people together in Christ's body, we are called and we are connected and we are commissioned by God as his representatives, as his agents, as his emissaries of our Savior and our King Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives. And that, in a nutshell, has been and continues to be God's vision, I believe, for us as a particular church in this community and in this context. And so I want to I kind of encourage us and, and ask you, do you think of yourself that way? Do you think of yourself that way? Do you think of our church in that way? Do you wake up in the morning realizing that you are an emissary, you are an ambassador, you are a representative for the king of kings, for the ruler of all nations, for the creator of the world. Do you come to this place thinking of it as as an embassy of the kingdom of of heaven here on earth and that we as a people, we are a a ministry, a delegation, if you will, of that kingdom that is empowered and equipped with a particular mission and a particular message to the people to whom we are sent and to the people whom God brings into our circles. If someone were to ask you why your church is called ambassador, would you be able to articulate why and what that means, what that looks like for us as a church and more importantly if they were to come and spend time with you or to come here and and be with us among us as a church would they be able to tell from what they see and they hear and experience that we are citizens of a greater kingdom that we are 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 uh, we serve a greater king that we live for a greater purpose that something is different in the way that that uh, we approach life the way we pursue relationships such that it would draw them, they they draw them to know and hear more. As as we thought about renewing and refreshing what God is calling to us as a church for the future, I wanna I want to revisit that vision with with some fresh lenses and articulate it in a fresh way for us in the future. In the past we've stated what that looks like in terms of our our knowing God personally and our worshiping God joyfully of our caring for each other and, and reaching out to others. And over the next few weeks, I want, to, I want to look at this passage from which we get our church name alongside of Jesus' own teaching in John 15, which was read for us earlier. I want to look at those in, in, in terms of the three key elements of being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Elements that I believe will, will more clearly and concisely articulate and focus that, that upward and, and inward and outward uh, uh, nature of our relationship and calling to God and to one another in the body of Christ and to the world that he calls us 
to go to. And those three elements are stated in, in what I hope is a renewed vision statement for us that says we are Christ's ambassadors living for our king, loving like our king, and leading to our king, leading others to our king. Let's just say that together for a minute. We are Christ's ambassadors living for our king, loving like our king, and leading to our king. We're going to be hearing that a little bit more than we've heard in the past. And so I want you to, that's where I, over the next couple of weeks, I want to focus in on that. And uh, today I want to look at that first element of, of what it means to live for our king. Paul is writing this, this second letter to the church at Corinth. And much of it is devoted to, to further defending his ministry, to further uh, um, defending his authority as an apostle. And as we've seen in our study of 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth had been hit hard by division, by sin and strife. And there were those both in and outside the church who were seeking to, to, to discredit Paul, to call into question his motivation and his, his ministry of the gospel to them. And here, and in this letter, he addresses that again. And he, he does it by speaking passionately again about his own life and his calling in a way that serves as a great synopsis of the motivation and ministry to which we are all called and to which the body of Christ is called together in Christ. And he says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have, we have concluded this, we have reckoned and come to, to, uh, to agree with this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might, not lo- might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You know, there are a lot of things that might motivate us to to seek to live our lives for God, to seek to pursue our relationship with God. All of us could probably look and find different types of motives that, that do that. Some may be good, some may be not so good. We might be motivated by guilt for our sin, We might be motivated by fear of God's judgment. We might be motivated by a sense of pride in our accomplishments and and showing those off. We might be motivated by what others think of us and wanting to to please and, 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 and give a good impression to the people around us. We might be motivated by a deep sense of 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 need in some area. And Paul here, all of those may be be, uh, different motivations, but Paul here focuses in on one in particular, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. Indeed, any other motivation that we have that is not grounded in this particular one, not grounded in Christ's love for us, will ultimately be, uh, be a misguided motivation in some sense, according to the gospel. Paul says the love of Christ controls us or some translations say it compels us it it drives us in a way that 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 uh that that hems us in such that we can't we can't do anything other than be than follow that course before us and this love which is not foremost our love for him paul's not specifically talking about our love for christ although that flows out of 
what he's speaking of here, but he's talking about Jesus' love for us. And he says Jesus' love for us is, is much more than a feeling. It's more than just a, a, an attraction or a kind of, of gesture of, of love or grace in some way. He says this love is nothing less than the very core of the gospel. It's nothing less than the very foundation of our hope. It is the love that is shown and demonstrated and, and manifested in the death of the Son of God, the King of kings. A death that stood in our place as sinners that results in a reconciliation with a holy God. That results in a righteousness we have before God and that results in a, a new life lived in light of that love for God for us. And Jesus, who is the Son of God, Paul says, knew no sin. He becomes sin. He bears in himself on the cross all the enmity, all the rebellion we have towards God. So much so that Paul can say here and we see elsewhere that, that when he died for us, we died. We died with him. We died to sin with him. And this is, this is that union with Christ. This is that connection, that organic connection we have in his suffering and in his death. And this death that he died for us and the resurrection to new life that he gives to us is the essence, as Paul says, of God's compelling, constraining love. God demonstrated his own love for you. He demonstrated it for me in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took on our sin and continues to, to pour out his righteousness and reconciliation to us. And as a result, how we live now, how we live in that reconciled, restored, right relationship with God and with one another is radically transformed and, 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 it, and it is controlled by that love. And that love results in this union, this controlling power that comes from God's spirit in us that utterly reorients and changes our purposes and practice in life. And so that's why Paul says, because of this, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. We no longer, we, we, we have a, a new priority, a new, uh, a, a, a new focus in all that we do. We are no longer our own. We belong to and live for our faithful Savior and King Jesus who gave himself for us. There's a scene in the, in, the, in the book, and if you've seen the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a great story, uh, a redemptive story. And there's a scene in, uh, in, that, in that book where Edmond Dante, who is a prisoner who's been serving a, a long sentence on an on a isolated, very miserable um, uh, prison out in the ocean, he escapes from the Chateau d'If. That's the name of this prison. And he, he washes up on, an, on the shore of the mainland. And the first people he comes in contact with is a, a rogue band of smugglers on the beach. And the leader of this group, as he wakes up, the leader of this group is having to punish one of his men for, uh, for insurrection, for, for rebelling against him. And the crew is appealing for this, this, uh, this shipmates, for, for the captain to have mercy on him. And so when the, when the captain sees Edmund's body washed up on the shore, he, he sees a way, perhaps, that he can 
he can do both. He makes Edmund and this, this guilty crewman have a knife fight together. And, and he, he, he figures if the guilty crewman is killed by Edmund, justice will have been served. But he also figures if Edmund is killed, then the, the penalty of death will have been paid and he can show mercy to the crewman as his crew is wanting. Well, this fight goes on and Edmund ends up pinning the man on his back. And just as he's about to plunge the knife into his, into his neck, he stops and he turns to the captain and he says, spare his life. Your justice will have been served in my victory and your mercy will be shown in granting this man his life. And the leader agrees and, and he plunges the knife down right next to the man's head into the sand. And the spared crewman breathes a deep sigh of relief. Realizing that Edmund has spared him, what stands out in this is the crewman's response. He looks at him and he says to Edmund, he says, from now on, I am your man no matter what. I am yours no matter what. His life, having been in some sense purchased, if you will, by Edmund's mercy, he will no longer live for himself. He will no longer live for this band of, of rogues who, who uh, he's been with, but he will live for this man who he, he had sought to kill, but who in mercy gave him life he did not deserve. Now, on a much deeper level, that is the transforming nature of Christ's love because he actually took the knife of God's wrath and justice and died in our place in order that we might live. And not that we might continue to live for ourselves, but that we might live for him, for God. And when we understand and embrace that love and faith, we say in essence, from now on, <laughs> I am your man, Jesus, no matter what. I am your woman. I am your child. We become bound together as one with Christ such that we live our life for him because he gave his life for us. And we live our life in him because by his spirit, his life is at work in us. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, apart from what Christ has done, we all naturally, and we know this, we live for ourselves. All that we do is motivated by seeking personal value, by pursuing personal preservation, by asserting our significance by wanting our own glory, by seeking to provide for and protect ourselves. And apart from God, that is naturally who we are. And even in Christ, we still have vestiges of that old self that is seeking value, seeking significance, seeking satisfaction in what we do, where we live, what we have, what we look like, what others think of us. And the list can go on. But Christ's love 
His love for us in the gospel gives us a new priority. It centers our our significance. It centers our value. It centers our worth. It centers our calling in something other than ourselves. It centers it in Christ, in God. And so to live for our king can only happen when when we understand our new life in him. As we know that transforming love, as we experience that, that uh, reconciling power of our king who died and rose again for us, only then can, can we become his ministers of that grace and citizens of that kingdom and, and live our lives as he calls us to as members of his family. And that's what Jesus is, is pointing to when he uses the analogy of the vine and the branches to describe the calling and the relationship of those who belong to him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, he says, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In his death and in his resurrection, there is a a vital and organic and and life-producing link that bears authority and power and it's established with those whom he calls to himself and whom he pours out his love in his death and resurrection. He says the branch does not and cannot live for itself but it lives because of and for the purpose and the production of the vine. It bears fruit as it lives in that in that vital union, that connection to the vine from which it derives its nourishment, from which it gets its strength, from which the the purpose of the vine and the mission of the vine, so to speak, is lived out and manifest in visible and tangible fruit. In a similar way, an ambassador is is vitally connected to, he or she is vitally dependent upon the sovereign who sends them to a particular nation. They go with with his provision. They go under his authority. They go with his instructions and his guidance as well as with his power to live that out. And thus they do not just live for themselves or do what they want. If they do, guess what happens? They will be recalled. They will be removed from that position just as a, a fruitless branch is removed from the vine. But as, a, as an ambassador abides in, is, is attentive to and dependent on and submissive to the power and provision and purpose of the ruler whom they serve, then they will see their, their mission, their ministry carried out as and by the one who they represent wherever they are. So what does it look like to live for, to abide in, to be connected and called in such a way that, that your life that our life together is controlled and compelled by the love of Jesus. How do, we, how do we know that? How do we see that? How do we live that out? And there's a, a lot to it and the things that we'll be looking at over the next uh, couple weeks flow from it. But at its very basis, it means that we give attention to, that we, we, uh, we put as a priority, that we pursue that uh, maintaining that intimacy 
and growing in that union and, and doing all that we can to, to allow the, the fruit of, uh, or the power of, of Christ at work in us to bear fruit for his glory. It means having as our priority, first and foremost, an allegiance to and a reverence for and a love for our Savior and our King. I mean, think about it. Who do you live for? And we all have other people that we live for. We have, we have other things that motivate us and, and, and that are, are, are high priorities in your life. Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it for a, a particular uh, cause or, or, or um, something that's going on in your life? Do you live for your job? If that's the case... If you live for someone or something else, your life, if you think about it, will be centered in. It will be uh, centered in and around knowing and, and hearing and, and honoring and, and pressing into and pleasing that person or that thing. If I live for my wife, and in some ways I do hopefully live for her in some ways, then everything I do will be taken into consideration for her desires, to, to honor her, to do what is best for her and to do that, I've got to know her. I've got to spend time with her. I've got to be connected in some way and in communion with her. And Jesus calls us to live for him before anything else. <laughs> to live for him rather than for ourselves. To live for him rather before we live for our family. To live for him before we live for our wealth or our power or our Reputation, whatever it is that drives us. Jesus calls us to live for him by denying ourselves, by loving him above all other people and things and knowing and following and serving him in a way which he has both mandated and modeled in his own life. Jesus says, by this, in John 15, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. To live for Christ is to know him, to abide in him, to listen to him, to learn from him, to love him and be loved by him in a manner that our lives begin to reflect and to represent and to reproduce that which brings glory to him. It is, in essence, worship. <laughs> It's in essence worship. To live for Christ is to worship him in all that we say. To offer our lives, as Rome, Paul says in Romans, as living sacrifices in glory and honor for him. And to do that is to have our minds renewed and our, by his word and our hearts transformed by his love. Such that not only can we discern what his good and perfect and pleasing will is, but we can live out that will in the manner to which he calls us. And one means by which that happens in the church and, and happens here at Ambassador is, is really what we're doing here this morning. Our sovereign God, the one who loves us more than we can imagine, who laid down his life that we might be called his friends, that we might be brought into his kingdom. The one to whom we one day will give account. He calls us and he invites us and he welcomes us to gather together 
to come, if you will, into the embassy, into the consulate uh, for a weekly audience with him. (laughs) To come and, and be with him. To meet with him together. To experience in a unique way his his presence and his power among us as his set-apart people. To be reminded of his love and his truth and his grace. To receive and be guided by his word. To respond by expressing uh, our heartfelt praise and thanksgiving for for his goodness. As well as to cry out to him for our ongoing dependence and needs for his grace. And you and I are are invited as his delegation to those we encounter on our daily lives to come and meet our sovereign creator, our almighty king, our gracious God and father, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be exhorted, to be refreshed, to be restored, to be reconciled and and reprovisioned for the ministry and the mission that he has for us. You see, to live for Christ is not just to go out and live your own life personally in a way that honors him, although it is that. But it's also to live for him in the body, in the the, uh, mission to which he has called us to as his people. Christ is present in and with his people and our lives are not lived in isolation. So you cannot live for Christ and live absent or isolated from the body where that life is manifested together in a particular place. So gathering for worship, gathering for other opportunities to to fellowship and to grow in Christ's word Gathering together to experience Christ's love and to be encouraged and spurred on in Christ's mission is essential to being being fruitful, to being effective as Christ's ambassadors, to live for our King. And so as we seek to to be that, those, those ambassadors who live for our King, it begins with that connection, that communion with Christ by His Spirit and together with His people. And what we are living for will be reflected in what we give our allegiance and our attention and our affection to. Isn't it wonderful that God has called us? He has called us to begin every week together with him and together with one another in the body of Christ. To gather together as people from every tongue, tribe, and nation brought together as one by the reconciling love and the sovereign rule of our King Jesus to express our praise, to hear his gospel proclaimed, to receive encouragement and instruction and assurance in his word, to be ministered to in reconciling grace and redeeming love and to be fed and equipped as we go forth into the mission he's given us. That's what he calls us to. But it doesn't just stop here. (laughs) It continues on throughout the week. As we continue to live our lives as as living sacrifices to him. As we come to him in his word. I love when Gary was praying. He said we abide in Christ by abiding in his word. Abiding in his love. By bringing to him our needs. To asking him to work in and through us. And he promises as we do that. That we will know his joy. And that we will bear fruit 
And that his love will go forth from us. And we'll look more at that in the next couple of weeks. But what does it look like at, at, at its base to be Christ's ambassadors, to live for him who died for you? It's knowing, first and foremost, you belong to him. You are his man, his woman, his boy, his girl, his child. That we together are his chosen people. We are a holy nation, a kingdom of, of ministers called to proclaim his glory and to live that out in our lives together into the world. And so you have been called, we have been called, we've been bought with a price, reconciled to the King of Kings by his sacrificial love for you on the cross. Is that what controls you? Is that what compels you to get up in the morning, on a Sunday morning, and come here <laughs> to, to be with his people? Is that what compels you to get up during the week and to go out into your job or into your classroom or into your neighborhood or just getting up with, to be with your children in the morning and to love them and to point them and, and help them to, to see better who King Jesus truly is and what he has done. Does that love compel us as his people to abide with him and to have his word and his love abide in us such that we will seek to carry that out and minister that for his glory in all things. Well, if we're honest, and I need to be honest, we need to be honest, we at times are not very good ambassadors. <laughs> there are many ways in which my life and, and probably your life and our life together often does not bear fruit that lasts. There are times that our interactions with one another, our interactions with the world reflect more a life lived for ourselves than for the one who unites us together. There are relationships that we don't want to be ministers or bring a message of reconciliation to because it's hard. There are situations we do not want to enter into because it may it may it may uh, in, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It may impose itself upon our own agenda and our desire, desires for ourselves. At time, at times, God needs to prune us. He needs to discipline us. He needs to recall us and, and restore us to his love that we might go forth and see the fruit of his spirit and the truth of his love and grace being born in our lives in new ways. But that's what he does. <laughs> that's what he does. His love is a reconciling and restoring love. To reconcile us to himself, to renew our calling to the ministry and message that he has given us as his ambassadors. And so I want to just end with a, an encouragement and a challenge. An encouragement, or maybe a challenge, is do you know the love of Christ who died for you so that you might live for him? Do you really know that? Does that reconciling, redeeming love, does it compel you in how you live your life? If not, then it's time for us to, to, to look back and reckon again with the truth of the gospel. 
Paul's constantly, and the Bible's constantly calling us back to remember, to consider what Christ has done. Christ has died for us so that we have died with him. And he died for us in order that we might live for him and that he might live through us for his glory. He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus has grafted you in to himself, to his kingdom. And he will bear fruit in you and in us through his Holy Spirit as we abide in him, as we live for him, as we worship him in all of our lives. And as we come to grow in his grace and love, as we meet with him and commune with him and with his people. And it's only then that we can go forth to love like the king and to lead others to the king. And so I encourage us, encourage you, think of yourself, think of us as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. It begins here. As we, as we know his love, as we, as we hear his call, and, he, and as we engage in his presence and his work for us, but it takes us out in our lives together and into this world. And we'll look more at those details. But let us recommit ourselves, or if maybe commit yourself for the first time, to know the love of Christ and to live not for yourself, not for ourselves, but for him who died for us. Let's pray together. Lord, our desire is to daily know and be controlled by your love. And we thank you that you demonstrated that love for us in your death and in your resurrection, and that you poured out that love in us through your spirit at work to reconcile us to yourself, to reconcile us to one another, and to continue to be reconciling the world and those who don't yet know you to, you, to yourself. Lord, make us ambassadors for your King your kingdom that truly reflect that love, that truly live according to that calling and that truly desire to go and, and, and serve and lead others to know you. And Father, if there are those here who don't know you, I pray that they would know that love even this morning, that the truth of the gospel that you, Lord Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might become and be becoming the righteousness of God. Make that true in our lives each and every day. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.